out that I had a philosophic struggle with uh, showing up this morning. Any church would invite me back a second time. I don't know if I want to preach for them or not. You guys are kind of a little off the rails, but that's okay. We can deal with that. I'll do my best and So, it wasn't my idea. I, I got a phone call, call, and I was given this preaching assignment, and I was just kind of all over it, and I started looking at the scripture, and I said, well, I don't know that I could have found a better scripture that matches or maybe uh, complements the last sermon I was here. So let me start off by saying where I ended up last time. The last time I was here, I ended with a quote, from, um, there it is, from Jim Elliott. Do you remember that quote? It was sitting right up there when I left. It said, he is no fool who uh, gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I said, well, that is this, that is this passage of Scripture, if I read it correctly. It's about understanding what we're really doing, why we're really doing it, and what the, uh, what the ultimate outcomes are. Except last time, the last time I was here, I was uh, in Philippians, per my assigned task, and, and last time we looked at Christianity from what I'm going to call a defensive perspective. If you remember, Paul was in prison, he was writing letters, uh, specifically he was in, uh, in prison in Rome, he was writing a letter to the church in uh, Philippi, and he was talking about some of his hardships and difficulties and those kinds of things, and we discussed the fact that a storm is coming. The difficulties are going to be upon us, and we have to be prepared for when that difficulty comes. You all remember that, of course, copious notes, and I'm sure some of them had committed them and hung them on your refrigerator. It was such an outstanding sermon. Okay, that's probably not true. But the point is, that's what I'm going to call defensive Christianity. Being prepared, with Peter, who would say, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that you have within you. And we should, we should be that, but but that's not the Christianity I, that's not exclusively the Christianity that I read when we read scripture. This morning we're in James, and, and James has a completely different outlook on Christianity. Um, he comes from an a offensive perspective, and please hear me, Paul is constantly on the offense, even while he was writing uh, to the church in Philippi, he ends that book with, and everybody, I'm paraphrasing here, and everybody here greets you, including those who are in Caesar's household. I mean, read the end of the book, Philippians. And what we get from that is uh, Paul, from his jail cell, has had the opportunity to speak to some of Caesar's household. Indeed, if you have someone who's noteworthy as Paul sitting in, you know, in the basement of your house, wouldn't you go down and talk to him? And the, the answer, obvious answer is, well, yeah, yeah, they did. And while he was there, he was able to influence them. I mean, he was there for quite a while, so it was certainly more than one visit. And over the course of uh, time, what we get a sense from that verse is that Paul was labeled to lead some of them to a saving knowledge of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and now he considers them part of the part of the brethren. Even in jail, Paul is on the offense. He's doing the things that God has called him to do. So today, we're looking at, um, we're looking at James chapter 4. That was really good. I'm going to put that down here because it's going to drive me nuts. And when I forget my glasses this evening, I'm holding all of you accountable. They're right there. Don't let me leave without them. 
So we're in James. <laughs> it's right now where I'm going to need my glasses. Watch closely. Yeah. Get that. Yep, I do. This is James chapter 4, and I'm starting with uh, verse 14. He said, what, is, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied, uh, not accompanied by action. I mean, let's try that again. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So what we're talking about here is having two things going on, faith and deeds. And James is going to emphasize the deeds part. Let me just take a sidebar right here, uh, and I want to go after a... <laughs> a particular theology that hopefully none of you have, but there's a verse in Romans uh, 10, verse 9, that says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You realize that's not a one-off. That's not a magic potion. That's not an incantation where sometime in the course of my life, for a moment, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and that's my magic ticket. It's punched and I'm in. No, no, if, if you read that correctly, go back and look at the Greek uh, tenses of those verbs, that's an ongoing process. It's a change in life, and it's who we are on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, yeah, 15 through 17, let me go back and do that again. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? The same way by faith itself, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So I think the action part of this is, the activity part of this is not about proving your faith. We're not going to go out and work ourselves into heaven. Ephesians says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the free gift of God. We can't work ourselves into heaven, but by golly, if we read James correctly, what he's saying is, if you're a part of the kingdom, if you're saved by grace, works is going to be a natural outflow of your normalized day-to-day -day processes. Um, it's about living the life that God has called you to, it's about um, living your life, playing what I'm going to call offensive Christianity. Another term for that might be building the kingdom. That's the ultimate outcome for all of us. It's a part we're supposed to play. We read, uh, we read Jesus and he says, you know, my father's house are many mansions. Yes, we're all supposed to be there. We talked about giving, giving us gifts. We're going to come back to that. All of us have a part to play in the kingdom building all of us have a part to play in kingdom building, and that, place, that, that kingdom is really in two places as far as I'm concerned geographically. One is here. It's the impact of your church on the community that's around you, but the other is in your home. It's who you are as a person outside the church. Honestly, it's, it's a 7 by 24 by 365 process. Uh, offensive Christianity, build the kingdom, is about seeing and responding to opportunities 
and opportunities are around us all the time. We just have to have, if you will, our eternal eyes open. And it's an as-you-go process. We don't necessarily have to go out and seek us. Where am I going to go and build the kingdom today? No, it's a process that moves along. Jesus, yep. Jesus is our best example of this. How many times do you see Jesus reaching into his pocket and pulling out his day timer and saying, okay, today I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And there are times, indeed, when he had a place to go, when he had something to do. I mean, like on Saturdays, it was written in there that he's going to go out and antagonize the Pharisees. That's what he did on Saturdays. I'm sorry, it was kind of a blood sport from Jesus. I mean, that's the way I read the New Testament. It always says when he's antagonizing, it's always the Sabbath. But apart from that, it's, he's going from one place and constantly there's interruptions in his day. And, and I'm not going to do an exhaustive list, but there's the woman with the issue of blood. He, he reaches out and touches him. He stops right in the middle of everything that's going on. And he says, who touched me? This is like, well, everybody touched me. No, somebody really touched me. There's the healing of Jairus' daughter. The, one day, Jesus is in the full-blown sermon somebody's house and and there are so many people there that the door is blocked and and these yahoos climb up on the roof and start tearing the roof back and jesus response was hey you put that back cover that what are you doing no he stopped all of a sudden he's just smitten with the faith of these guys that they're willing to interrupt him. And he is like all over it. Jesus was an as-you-go kind of guy, and he tells tells his disciples that. As you go, do this and do this and do that. The opportunity to build the kingdom is always around us. You want to write this one down? Jesus never said, be careful. He said, go. Go. He said, do all these miraculous things. Never in the, and I'm still looking for it. If you find it, let me know. He never says, be careful. He's always empowering, always protecting, always guiding, always delivering. The Holy Spirit's involved with all that. And he never, ever, ever says, be careful. He says, be bold. He's constantly saying, go and. And do whatever it is that you find. He says, uh, He said, I was hungry, and I was naked, and I was in prison. And you came to me, and his disciples said, well, when did we see you? He said, when you did it to the least of these. Well, I'm I'm sitting on the side of the street homeless. I'm I'm sitting in a shelter somewhere. I'm sitting, I'm sitting. Our community, our lives, our world are full of opportunities for us to engage. He says, store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can uh, break in or ruin or thieves break in and steal. And I'll be honest with you, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get all my stuff in heaven. And then it occurred to me, it was a lightning bolt, uh, it, it occurred to me that the way you go about getting your stuff into heaven, the way I go about storing my treasures, however you want to define those, however you go about storing my treasures in heaven, the only way that's open to me is by investing in things that will go there. That's people. The way we go about changing our mindset is acknowledging the fact that it's not about us, it's not about our stuff, it's not about the here and now, it's about the then and there, and that's really what we need to do. He says, on a day-to-day basis, I'm supposed to pick up my cross daily and follow him. I'm supposed to look for and and exercise those um, daily opportunities. 
Um, again, Jesus was constantly interrupted by opportunity. He finds the sick and the lame at the pool of Bethesda. Um, I would suggest that we are uh, confronted with kingdom-building opportunities every day. But, I've already used the phrase, but you have to have your eternal eyes open. We have to see things in light of not how we want or how the world decides or, or impresses upon us what is or isn't important. We need to go about living life with our eternal eyes open. The consideration of the fact that it is people, anybody, whosoever will, is, is a child of God and has the opportunity to understand, realize heaven. But they need some guidance. They need some direction. They need some assistance in getting there. So that's, that's sort of basically uh, the verse. It, it's not about works. It's not about uh, just works. It's not about just grace. It's about grace and works. They work collaboratively. So let's talk a little bit about what we have to work with. Um, I think there are four things upon us. I think we have four things that we can work with, four things that, that we can exercise as far as doing something with those opportunities. Gifts, talents, abilities, and resources. So let's start with gifts. Spiritual gifts. Uh, you have one whether you want to acknowledge it or not. We're told when we, are, when we become Christians, when you're... Uh, basically anointed by the Holy Spirit, you're given a spiritual gift. And, and the question is, why aren't we using it? What's the gift for? And if we read Scripture correctly, that gift is for us to build the kingdom specifically in this church. Secondarily, it's to build the kingdom outside of this church. And we have to acknowledge, I mean, I'm just going on, on Scripture, we have to acknowledge the fact that, that our spiritual gift is ours, and we have one, and we have one for a purpose. But Niels, I haven't the foggiest idea what my spiritual gift is. How do I go about figuring that out? I would suggest there's a plethora of ways, and the first one is to, is to pray about it. I, uh, yeah, I, I think too many times we find ourselves going off in directions without bathing that direction in prayer. Second idea might be to ask some people the people around you, the people who know you, the people who have seen you in, in action, and ask them, what, what do you think my spiritual gift is? Because frankly, spiritual gifts aren't always as obvious to us as we might think. What do you think my spiritual gift is? And then when they come back and tell you what they think it is, whatever it happens to be, you have the gift of hospitality, you have the gift of administration, you have to give the, whatever it happens to be, I would put that gift to the test. And here's my test for a spiritual gift. You need to exercise your spiritual gift. Find yourself in a situation. Exercise your spiritual gift. And if the end result winds up being bigger, grander, better, more, uh, more complete, more, more of a success than you expected it to, that's probably your spiritual gift. When we exercise our spiritual gifts, typically we don't think we're doing much. But the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to use that to some very great ends. And then what's it for? The spiritual gift is for you to find yourself involved either in the church or outside the church, but under the auspices of the church and the ministry of the church 
to do some rather remarkable things, if we'll let him. But <laughs> you can't be afraid of it. You can't be afraid of exercising your spiritual gift. You can't be afraid of exercising any of those gifts, talents, abilities, or resources. When we allow fear to keep us from doing those kinds of things, a couple, two or three things, one, we're, we're limiting what the power of God has to do through us, but more importantly, you excuse my saying so, you're shortchanging me and everybody else in the room. If we read Scripture correctly, the reason you have a spiritual gift is because probably few, if anybody else in the room, has that gift. We're supposed to work together exercising those gifts, and if you're not using your gift, you're robbing me and everybody else in the room. Spiritual gifts are probably, not probably, I'm going I'm to put it out there, spiritual gifts are the most potent way that we have available to us to impact the kingdom. The reason I say that is because, as I said before, when we exercise spiritual gifts, we don't get the credit, or we shouldn't be getting the credit. Okay? Gifts. Second thing, talent. Talents are things like communication skills, interpersonal skills, technical skills, mechanical skills, musical skills, crafts. They're things you have the capacity to do that nobody else in the room can do, or few people in the room. I, I, my, my lovely wife will tell you that when I try exercising my electrical skills, I, I set fires. <laughs> Not a big fan of electrical skills. When I, when I try carpentry, Okay, it's standing, but it's not necessarily vertical. You know, there's, just, there's some skills I have and some other skills that I don't. Uh, but you have those skills. And there are people in need who could use those skills, and it really doesn't make any difference which of those skills, and those are, that's not an exhaustive set, which of those skills you can use. The question is, are we going to exercise it? If you're an electrician, if you're a carpenter, have you ever thought in terms of doing something maybe completely outside of the auspices of the church? Like, oh, I don't know, go work for Habitat for Humanity. Find yourself at at the Children's Hunger Fund. Find yourself... Whatever it happens to be, I'm saying there is work, there's kingdom building to be done that could use your skills outside of this church. There are things certainly that you can do inside the church as far as skills are concerned, but sometimes we think that our Christian experience hands, is, is, is to be involved or is to be exercised within the confines of this plot of land, and, and that's so not the truth. Skills talents. The third one is abilities. What are you able to do? God, if we are able, God says to us, go, cook, help, read, clean, fix, walk, sew. What do you have the capacity to do? doesn't necessarily have to be a skill, but there are people who, who need assistance in just everyday living. There's the opportunity for us to do some amazing things for them. Jesus is talking to his disciples one day, and, and he basically says, listen, if someone asks you to, to carry their pack, 
carry their pack for the allotted mile, and then go the second mile. That, that actually was imposed upon them. That was the, the, foreign, uh, the foreign, the Roman legionnaires uh, basically could impose themselves upon the local population when they were marching to carry that pack for about a mile. He says, take it a second mile. Well, why? Because they need assistance. And it also exercises what I'll come back to in a bit, what I call the missionary question. The other thing that falls under this, what are you able to do, is um, pray. Anybody in the room can't pray? Let me see your hand. Oh, okay, we're all inclusive. This is good. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are, regardless of your physical capability, all of us in the room can pray. I need to tell you about a group of ladies that I used to work with. Um, They lived in a retirement center across the street from where I was working. And every Tuesday morning, I'd go over there and hold a Bible study. And these ladies were old. I mean, they aged and decrepit women. I'm telling you, they are old. And, and I had a great deal of fun at their expense collectively, and they had a great deal of fun at mine because, as you've already figured out, there's a lot to work with. <laughs> Target-rich environment. But we're going through, I don't know, one of the books that we went through, and we got to the point of, of doing things as far as the kingdom is concerned. And they asked me point blank, they said, well, you know, what can we do? In that facility, there weren't any sewing machines, they couldn't cook, they couldn't go, they had no transportation, that kind of stuff. I said, well, you can pray. And they said, well, yeah, yeah, they can. So I started calling them my old ladies, and, and I, you know, every time I, I had something, someone would come to me with a, a need, I'd go back to them and say, okay, I need for you to pray for this specific thing. And they would. Over the course of the the next week, they would pray for that thing. And typically, within a week, two, three weeks, I'd come back with some information. You know, sometimes when we pray, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, sometimes the answer is wait. It's always one of those three. But typically, I'd come back with information, and they got to be realizing after a very short period of time that when they prayed, stuff happened, you know? Let me give you, a, this, I wish this was line, my line, it's so not. Prayer is the air cover for the ground assault. We're out there. You know, there's, there's those of us who are on the ground and getting our hands dirty and that kind of stuff, and there's those that can't go and get their hands dirty. But by golly, praying for us that can go, praying for the air cover while we're out there, is more than just helpful. It is, it is a significant part of the success. Anyone in the room, anyone in the room, at a minimum, can pray. Resources. Um, resources comes down to three things as far as, as I know. There's the resource of time, there's the resource of money, and there's the resource of stuff. <laughs> and you can define stuff any way you want. Open your garage door and there's all your stuff. I'm speaking from personal experience. The reason we have, we have time, we have uh, money, and we have stuff, and the reason we have time and money and stuff is to physically, or, or as far as time is concerned, resource the, resource the activities that are around us. There's a verse in... Um, 
Ephesians, verse 4, verse 28. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But Paul says to the church in Ephesians, oh, I'm not going to paraphrase it for you. I told them to write it down, and they did. You guys are all right. I really don't care what they were saying about you earlier. You're okay. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 4.28 says this. Let the, thief who, uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to spend on his retirement. Or to buy a new toy. Or to, no. The reason the thief is to no longer steal, but have honest work in his hands, is so he has something to share with anyone in need. Why do you have your job? And believe me, it's not to buffer you for when you become 65. I, I'm, uh, I don't know many people who have actually gone hungry in the United States of America. I know there are people that are. There are people who live below the poverty line, but I honestly have been blessed, and I don't know any of those people. You realize, of course, your Heavenly Father has awareness of everything that's going on in your life. Your Heavenly Father is completely aware of all the difficulties, the trials, the circumstances. He knows exactly what the balance is in your checkbook, and He knows exactly what your bills are going to be next month, next year, and ad infinitum. The reason we're given resources, and, and if you don't see your money and you don't see your time and you don't see your stuff as a direct gift from the Lord, I think you've missed it completely. The reason we're given that stuff is so that we have something to give to others who indeed are in need. So what happens when we do good works? I, I, think, I think we have... Um, we have kingdom, kingdom building anytime we exercise a gift, a talent, an ability, and a resource, or a resource. I think we have opportunities that have been staring us in the face for years and years and years, and we haven't seen them because we choose to use temporal eyes and not eternal eyes. We miss the opportunity. I think um, when, when we... When we do things for the kingdom, when we're about the business of building the kingdom, I think miracles happen. And most of the time, you're not going to see them. They're after the fact. They're a result. Um, and this is especially true when we allow kingdom building to interrupt our very busy schedules. When you have an opportunity that basically confronts you and you allow that to prioritize your time, when you allow that to prioritize your other most important things to do, I would suspect we have a monstrous impact. What happens every time we do, uh, we do kingdom building is we generate what I will call the missionary question. So I, I pick up this guy's pack and I haul it for a mile. And we get to the end of the mile and he said, okay, I'll take it. And you say, no, no, I can carry it for another mile. What's the first thing that goes on in his mind? What's the first question he's going to ask? Why in the world would you do that for me? Every time we do something kingdom building, every time we do something extraordinary, extra, 
ordinary, outside the ordinary. Every time we do something that is going to impact the life of someone in need, they have very little choice. They have no choice, I don't think, to do anything but ask the missionary question. Why in the world would you do that for me? And that's where the miracle happens. You get to tell them why. It's not because, because I need some, you know, um, uh, self-relevancy. I'm feeling pretty good, good about myself. But you are important, and Jesus loves you. And you're important to him. And because you're important to him, you're important to me. So let me carry your pack. Let me help you with your house. Let me, let me, let me. Um, and, and when we exercise the missionary question, oh, a big part, when we exercise this grasping of opportunity, I would suggest the miracles happen in their lives, as I said before, and, and they may or may not be, you may or may not even be aware of it. So I want to share a story with you, um, and frankly, this was uh, a bit of a, an aha for me. I had the opportunity to uh, take uh, a group of people to Uganda, and when we were in Uganda, uh, the, the, one of the villages that we went to had had a problem, had had a problem, there it goes. Uh, in Uganda, water is uh, at a premium. Clean water is at a premium, let's put it that way. And this, this village leader took us out to this pond, really, and we got out there. It was, uh, in all honesty, blazing hot, but, but cool relative to how West Hills is going to be by the afternoon. Uh, and this was a very shallow pond. You can see just the um, edge of the pond itself there on the left-hand side. This is a huge pond, probably two, three times the size of this building as far as surface area is concerned. It was very shallow, and uh, I'll be honest with you, when we got there, there was uh, some number, like three, four, five cows standing in the middle of it. So that'll give you a sense of the quality of the water. You can see the water that they were uh, exercising. And then uh, I got to kind of point it out, but there's so there's the water, and then there's a little trough that goes over to that circular depression. You see that circular depression sitting right there? So this pond is the only source of water uh, for quite a while. I mean, like quarter mile, half mile, something like that. And it, this pond was a source of water for some number of villages. The village we were at, this is probably a little more than a quarter mile to get to it, but there were other where you had to walk hours, literally, to get to that pond. And when you got there, you took a five-gallon jerry can you know, gasoline can made out of plastic, and you shoved it down in that hole. It had been dug out large enough to receive the jerry can sideways and deep enough to where you could push it down below water level and the water would flow in and you fill it up and that was your water supply for the day. And then you had to heft that thing back to your home. And I don't mean to be sexist here, but this was the woman's job of the day. And hear this very carefully. It was her only job of the day because by the time she walked there, and walked back and set it down, and then went out and had enough physical wherewithal and time to gather enough firewood to boil that abomination so it was at least drinkable without any bacterial stuff in it. Didn't do anything about the quality of the water, but, but yeah, her day was gone. Her day was absolutely taken up by 
fetching water, and preparing what little food they had. No time for anything else. So that's the situation they were in. A group of individuals who remained nameless uh, got together and raised some money, and they built this. It's a water well. It goes down about 150 feet. It's deep enough down to where you or I could reach over with a glass of water, take some water out of it, drink it. It wasn't bad, actually, kind of cool. Cold, I mean, not cold. Not cool. Cool, but cool. You know what I mean. <laughs> and, and it was geographically located in the center of these various towns, so they minimized the amount of impact that walking to it and walking away had. A couple things happened. The uh, medical issues in the towns, obviously, as you can imagine, dropped significantly. Quality of water goes up, everything else flourishes. Most importantly, the women in all the villages didn't have to take the time to go out and find firewood, didn't have to take the time to, to um, boil the water. I want you to hear this term, it's called time deprivation. When you don't have any time left, when you're out of time, it hurts you. So those women then could do things like, and I failed to bring some, they, they make these little uh, paper beads and they sell them to stupid Americans come by. We pay exorbitant prices for beads made out of paper, but you have to have at least 20. No, how, no telling how many people you're going to find and want. But they can, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but the truth is, they can earn a living. They can actually generate some cash flow for their family and begin to move themselves away from the place that they once were. The, the people that built that water well were there to deliver water. They had no, no recollection of the aftermath. They had no recollection of what they did as far as time deprivation was concerned. All of a sudden, they've got time to do other things like, mm, I don't know, listen to a pastor on Sunday morning. They've got time to, you know, to, to read a Bible, to, to do what everything that they needed or wanted to do. The whole point is some individuals got together, threw a little money at a problem, and miraculously their lives changed. Now that's an extreme. I acknowledge that. But the truth is every time we take one of our gifts, one of our talents, one of our abilities, some of our resources, and meet people's needs, the missionary question is immediately exercised. And we have the capacity to impact the kingdom. I don't want you to think in terms, I want you to change your mindset about how you go about living your life. That's really my challenge for the day. We need to stop being defensive about our Christianity. We need to go on the offense. We're not called to sit and shelter in place. There's times, certainly, when you need to do that. The first century church was persecuted ruthlessly, and they sheltered, but they weren't static. The first century church, never in the history of recorded history of Christianity, has the church ever grown so fast as during the days of persecution. We need to think in terms of seeing life with eternal eyes to see the needs that are out there and, and match them up to our abilities to meet those respective needs. 
I would suggest if you will open, if you'll pray about this, and you will open your eternal eyes, the number of opportunities that come before you on a day-to-day basis will be mind-boggling. We just have to have the eyes of faith to see them. The opportunities that stand in front of you, you may or may not see results. Sometimes scripture says, you know, one, one cultivates, one plants a seed, one waters, somebody else may harvest, but, a, but the point is, someday down the road, there's going to be uh, a reckoning. You kneels. being a Christian is hard. Well, yeah, being a Christian is hard. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Anything worthwhile is hard. It's difficult. Being a parent is hard. If you knew my kids, you would understand where that phrase came from. I'm going to hear it from my wife as soon as we're done here. (laughs) Being a parent is hard. Owning a company is hard. Doing missions, long-term or short-term, is hard. Ministry as a volunteer is hard. Commitment to one thing or another is hard. Christianity as a whole is hard. It's all very, very difficult, but it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. I'll just leave that alone. Um, There's going to be a day when there's going to be an accounting. There's going to be a day when there's going to be a separation of the sheep from the goats. There's going to be a day, I got ahead of myself here, Um, there's going to be a day when those who walk the narrow road and those who walk the wide road are going to be separated. Jesus says, many are called, few are chosen. And I think that you have to choose to be chosen. You have to respond to the call on your life, and that call comes every day with new opportunities. Someday there's going to be an accounting, and I, don't, I, 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 I see the, the day we stand before the throne of grace as being the most critical moment of our existence. The day you stand, it won't be a day. The time, it won't be time either. <laughs> when you stand before the throne of grace, uh, it's, it's going to be the absolute best moment of your entire existence and it's going to be the worst moment of your entire existence when you stand before the throne of grace that's when the accounting comes and and the best part about it is god doesn't god doesn't remember our sins um you know do you know who dallas willard is dallas willard was a uh chairman of the uh, philosophy department at uh, UCLA, great theologian, wrote some tremendously significant books. There's a quote from Dallas Willard. He says, God loves it when we confess our sins because then he doesn't have to worry about them anymore. The, The moment we stand before the throne of grace is going to be the best moment in time of your existence. When you get done with that little interaction, what you'll hear are two of the best words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. But it's also going to be the worst moment of your existence 
because at that point in time, we are going to be able to see all those opportunities that we missed or gave up on or chose not to exercise. It's at that moment that we'll realize what the impact of having done all of that really we, we failed to accomplish or we failed to have. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I've, told, I've told more people not, I've decided that when I stand before the front of the grace, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm get down on the floor, face down, and just beg for mercy. I, I just, yeah, because I need it. And then I'm going to cry because of all the opportunities I missed. I'm going to cry because of all the priorities I screwed up. I'm going to cry because of the disparity between what is and what could have been. And frankly, I think we're all going to be there. We get to choose. We have the opportunity now. We're still vertical. I'm still alive. Okay, I'm older than dirt too now. Those old ladies have got nothing on me. I mean, I've slowed down a little bit. Okay, I've slowed down a lot. But the whole point is, I still have opportunity. And I'm, as I walk out the door this afternoon, I'm going to have the opportunity to choose, as you are as well. My call to you is a change of mind. My call to you is a change of priority. My call to you is, is, a, is to make an honest decision that I am indeed going to impact the world around me for the kingdom with my gifts, with my talents, with my abilities, with my resources. Have you read Ephesians 6? Ephesians 6, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. You know, there's the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, and I'm sorry, I don't have it memorized, and I failed to give the guys in the back that verse, otherwise they would, have, they would have had it for me, I know. But you know what verse I'm talking about. Have you ever noticed that there's nothing for the back? Of all that stuff, the shoes, the breastplate, the shin guards, the mouthpiece, the, okay, there's no shin guards. There's nothing to protect the back. And I think that's on purpose. If I, read, if I read Scripture correctly, Christianity is an offensive thing. We're supposed to move forward. And we're supposed to move forward under the authority and the power that the Lord has given us and under the protection and the grace that he has bestowed upon us. We are not to be afraid. How many times does Scripture say, do not fear? Somebody tell me. This, this quote is thrown out too many times. That's what, how many times? It says, she's heard me do this before. In Scripture, it says, do not be afraid or do not fear. Catch this, 365 times. I hope that's enough for you. Let's see. One a day. We're not to be afraid. Um, make an impact. To make an impact as far as the kingdom is concerned, you do not need to dig a water well. Some of you could dig a water well. Five or nine of you could dig a water well. The church as a whole could dig a water well, but the whole point is having an impact for a kingdom does not require a water well. If I read, if I hear Jesus correctly, he said, I got to give a cup of cold water. That's the minimum. That's sort of the baseline, and, and, and we can all do that. There's really no restrictions. The, real, the, the biggest limitation, the biggest restriction we have as far as impacting the kingdom is the lack of eternal eyes and our own hesitation, 
reservation or fear in exercising the, against the needs that we find ourselves. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for boldness and for courage. I'm going to pray for eternal eyes that we might walk out of here with a different mindset to understand not only whose we are, who's in charge, who owns us, who is our authority, but what we have the capacity to do under that authority. We have marching orders. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for giving us opportunity to see, to experience where the needs are. Father, thank you for, for demonstrating to us through your word and through the examples of your son and the people around us what it means to impact the kingdom. Father, I pray for courage. I pray that you would give us the internal wherewithal to set our fears aside and hear your voice speak when it says go and do and minister. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness that, that, that as we find opportunity, you would help us to go the second mile. You would help us to do more than what's just simply called upon. Father, I pray for you to resource us. We have not because we ask not. And I pray that you'd help us to start asking for the right things. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we exercise our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and our resources. That in so doing, we might set aside our own priorities and invest ourselves in yours. And Father, I pray all this to one end, that we do not get any of the credit. Father, that it all falls upon your Son, and his name is Jesus.